privilege to be able to share, and I hope that uh, you'll be encouraged this morning. Um, just give you a bit of feedback. Last weekend, I had the privilege to go to Dresden, um, where I ministered at a women's retreat. Um, there were about <coughs> 80 ladies there from where Dresden is in East Germany, um, the old East Germany. So it's just wonderful to see our friends, Wayne and Renee. They planted the church there 16 years ago. And <coughs> just how they've seen something of a, a New Testament gospel church in a, what was an um, old um, communist area, just allow the gospel to take root and see people's lives flourish. And uh, it's, it was very exciting to see. And one of the things that they're doing a lot in that town in Dresden um, in the church is working with the refugees. And um, they have a service, a Persian service, on the Saturday afternoon um, because they have a lot of Afghanistan and Iranian people that have come and they've invited them into the church. And I think they're doing a wonderful work in that area. Um, but it was also just very exciting to minister to the ladies. And um, I'll, I'll, I did share with our home group a couple of the stories that were very exciting. But on the on the Saturday evening, we had a prophetic time. And um, I just prayed for words for different people before we, I went on the camp just for God to speak to people. And um, one, of the, one of the interesting stories was um, a lady that um, I felt, I, basically what I did was I had a list of the names and I just closed my eyes and I went dotted on a name and said, okay, God, give me a word for that person. And uh, so I got this one word for a lady and her name was Babel. And I felt God say that God has gifted her to write, and she must use her writing to encourage others, and that God has given her a gift of encouragement. So at lunch on the Saturday, I met this Babel that I had this word for, and I thought, I don't think she looks like a person that likes to write. I mean, she was a, a baker, and she just was like, she just looked like she was like a really outdoorsy, earthy lady. And I thought, no, she doesn't like writing. That was my judgment. So the whole afternoon I was wrestling and saying, this word's wrong. This can't be right for this babble. God, you got this one wrong. And anyway, so on the Saturday night, I went and I went up to this lady babble. And um, unbeknown to me, she had just said to her friends in the, in the morning, this prophetic thing is a lot of nonsense. I don't believe in this prophecy. And anyway, it's always the same people who get chosen to be prophesied over. And then I came to her and said, I've got a word for you, Babel, and her eyes went like this. And then I said, I feel God's given you a gift of encouragement. And then I said, um, and I feel God says something about writing. Well, then her eyes just widened. And I said, I feel God says you must use your writing to encourage others. And she said, how do you know? Nobody knows that about me. It's my secret thing I do. I love writing. And uh, it was just such an amazing encouragement to see this lady come alive and begin. Even that evening, she started writing these wonderful encouragements to people and psalms. So that was just an exciting thing. So sometimes the prophetic doesn't always work what we see. It's not as man sees, but God sees the heart. And it's a, such a wonderful gift to the church, isn't prophecy? Because it's there to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. And uh, one of the things I think that I love about 
prophecy is it always honors, if it's from God, it always honors the Word of God. It always honors Jesus, lifts Jesus up, and it always honors the person that's been prophesied over. So I'm hoping this morning that we'll have some opportunity also for God just to speak prophetically and encourage some of us today. Ah, and then there was this, I think for me, I was just weeping when this thing happened. Um, There was an older lady who was maybe in her 60s. She was a Polish lady, and she was a Catholic and had decided to come on this ladies' retreat in a very charismatic, spiritual church. And she... In that she was the ladies were in small groups, and uh, they were on the one night they were praying together. And she said to the leader, the lady who was leading the group, she said, "I've never prayed aloud before. I've never prayed with other people." And she said, "This is very new for me." And then she says, "I'm going to pray my premier prayer." She called it her premier prayer. And then she leaned over to my friend Renee and she said, "God bless you." And that was her premier prayer. And she was so, she'd stepped out of her comfort zone to pray that prayer in her ear. And um, the next day on the Sunday morning, we were having communion in groups. And she said, you know, in the church I come from, I went back to Poland and I wanted to take communion. But she said that um, because I hadn't been to confession, they said I couldn't take communion. And there were little children going up to have communion, but I wasn't allowed. And I felt so rejected and so on the outside. And she said, and here I am, and I'm with you, and um, I'm able to take communion with you, and you're not judging me. And the amazing thing was, just before that communion time, I preached on the fact that um, we're not under the law, we have no mediator but Christ, and we are able to come and have access to the throne room of God. There's no priest that has to mediate for us. And something just went from her head to her heart. And so from the day before of praying her premier prayer, she said, please can I lead this communion and take, and, and she was just weeping and weeping. She understood she wasn't under law, she was under grace. And I, I just thought, what a wonderful thing, that salvation came to that lady where she understood the grace of God in a very real way that she could have access to communion. So that's just a bit of feedback from my trip, but that was very wonderful. So what I want to share with you today, I, I'm going to, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit interactive, but you won't feel uncomfortable, don't worry. I just want to make this a a time where we can journey together and interact together as I share. And uh, I've recently decided to take up running again, and uh, but unfortunately, in my zeal, I overdid it. And uh, Inchin's been helping me with my Achilles, which really went all out of kilter. So I had to take a long rest, and then I went back again, and now it's this plantar fasciitis thing. So I'm, I'm hobbling around more than running, and it's really annoying. And um, I was just thinking, you know, life is like a marathon run. When you, do a, when you, you can't sprint this life, can you? You've got to pace yourself through the different things that we have to go through life. And then when we overdo it, we feel some pains. But it's very interesting 
with our physical bodies, when we feel pain, we know that's a warning sign, isn't it? Something's wrong, you need to give it attention. But how interesting is it that when we have emotional pain from the marathon of life, instead of resting and being restored in the healing balm of God's presence and his spirit and silence, we just keep going, we keep going, and we find some ineffective therapy like eating or shopping or watching TV as if it's going to somehow just kind of placate that inner nagging and pain. We're going to do a little experiment. This is one of the things I said. It's going to get a little interactive. I know it's pretty quiet in here. All the children have gone upstairs. We're going to take one minute. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And we are going to see if we can sit silently for one minute. Okay, don't worry about anyone next to you. Okay, it's just part of my little experiment. Okay, can we just do that? So just close your eyes. just take a second and just tell someone next to you or around you, just how did it feel when you were sitting quietly in the silence? Just one word did you feel? Peaceful or was it terrible? Or just tell them what it felt like to be silent. Anyone fall asleep? I hope not. (laughs) Well, Silence is a, is a very interesting thing because I think in our society, we in many ways have become so alienated from silence, haven't we? If we go for a walk, we wear headphones so we can listen to some music. Or if we drive in our car, we put in the CD player. So there's always some noise. We just don't want the silence. And uh, because I think, although silence can be very peaceful, sometimes silence can be quite frightening. And uh, because silence is, um, when, we, when we disengage from our noisy world and we come into a place that's quiet, there's a soundful silence around us, but it's a, a frightening place because sometimes there's an inner noise that can often be heard. And when there's no one to talk to or no one to listen to, an interior discussion may begin to start up. And it's often noisier than the noise we left behind. Has anyone ever experienced that? When you're lying on your own at night in your bed, then there all, all these conversations, all these noise, all these different things start to come. And a noise rages within us of unanswered questions, tangled desires, unsolved problems, confusing emotions. We have this inner noise going on. And uh, I think that perhaps our desperate need for diversion in our lives is to avoid a confrontation with what is going on inside. I'm going to read to you Psalm uh, Isaiah 40, verse 27 to 31. It says here, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, And my just claim is passed over by my God. 
Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. And even youths will faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. What I want to talk about this morning is an invitation from Jesus to come aside, to still our hearts, to quieten ourselves, and to allow him to come and minister to us, to allow him to come and increase our strength, increase our reserves, and replenish us where we feel faint and weary. In our house, um, we have, well, Matt's just moved up to uni, so I have that tender mom's heart right now. But in our house, the boys have their PlayStation set up and the TV, and with all those things comes lots of wires. I hate wires. There are wires everywhere, and we've got a basket full of wires, and they're just like a tangled mess. And I go, what is this wire for? And they say, no, 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 we really need that wire. It might come in handy one day. And I just, I hate wires. I try and hide them in, in all kinds of ways to make them disappear. But I think that sometimes our hearts, just like that noise that rages on the inside, can be like a whole tangle of wires. And we look at them and we go, I don't know what that wire is, but I'm going to stick it back down there. And we have all this kind of mix and tangle of things going on in us. You know, David, he also had times when he felt like there was a tangle going on inside of him. And uh, in Psalm 139, he says these simple words. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way that is everlasting. And what David did when he felt tangled inside was that he opened his heart like an open book to God. And he said, God, you come and read me. You come and search me and know me intimately. You come and see what is going on inside this heart of mine. And it's like he's asking God, sort through all these wires that are going in. What am I worried about? What am I fearful about? What am I thinking and feeling? Because you know me. And you notice that David, he doesn't... Um, open his heart and then try and be introspective and try and sort it out himself. No, he kind of opens himself up and says, God, I invite you to come and search me. Because David didn't see himself as independent and separate and insulated from God, as if his life happened in a box and then God was on the outside. He saw himself as being sustained, protected, created and watched over by God every part of his life. And so in the first part of Psalm 139, we see this wonderful reflection that he has on how much God is watching over him, how much God is intimately concerned with every detail of his life. And that's why he can pray that prayer, search me and know me, O God. We're going to just go through some of these verses. I know you probably know Psalm 139 very well. Um, I'm just going to read some, and just if you want to follow in your Bibles or 
listen as I read. So the first thing David says, he's praying to God, and he says, God, you've searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. You understand my thoughts from far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You know, God knows our daily activities when we get up in the morning, get ready for work. He knows our decisions that we have to make in the day. God knows every detail of our plan of our day, and he watches over us. And verse 4 says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God knows my conversations, my self-talk, what I say over my own heart. God knows the overflow of my heart even before something comes out of my mouth. He knows me intimately. And verses 5 to 8 says, You have hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. And where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God knows our travel. He knows the space we are in. Wherever you may be on this earth, God has your GPS coordinates. And he never loses signal. He knows intimately wherever you are. He's watching over you. He's mindful of you at every moment of every day. There's not a second when he thinks, oh, oh, where's Dan? I can't see him. He knows exactly where we are, and he's watching over us. And verse 9 says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. And even if I say the darkness will cover me and the night shall be light to me, indeed the darkness shall not hide me from you and the night shines like the day because darkness and light are both alike to you. God knows that our days, he knows our nights, He knows our seasons. And you know, we all go through seasons in our lives. And and, uh, I was sharing with a dear friend, we were talking about going through pre-menopause. So anyone been there? Yes? I know. And all the kinds of things you have to go through when your brain is doing a brain fuzz and you're irritable and... And uh, God understands the seasons of our lives. And uh, God understands when we are going through... When we have young families, he understands when uh, the seasons of our marriages. He understands our, our old age. He understands every part of our lives. When we're starting a new job, God is mindful. There's nothing that he is surprised by in our lives. He knows our plans. He knows when we're resting, when we're working, when we're happy, when we're struggling. He knows He knows every season, every part. And I love verses 13 to 14. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. I know that full well because my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. And you skillfully wrought me in the lowest parts of the earth, and your eyes saw my substance before they were being formed. 
God knows my body. He knows my insides. I can't see my insides. God knows what's going on inside me. He knows my growth from conception to adulthood to old age. God knows how my body functions when it's ill and when it's well. He knows every single detail about me. He knows every single detail about your body. And verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance when they were yet being formed, and in your book were written all the days that were fashioned for me when they as yet had not come. And uh, God knows our future. He knows your destiny. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams, your aspirations, your disappointments, your failures. God knows them and every detail of your future and your past. And he's always speaking his good plans over you. So why could David open his heart and say, search me, God? Because David had a high view of God. He knew that God was all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present, and all-powerful. And that God harnessed all of those qualities of his character and focused them in love on David. And that's what he says to each of you this morning. I know everything. I'm all powerful, I see everything, and all of that attention is on you. I'm watching you, I know you, I know every part of your life, your seasons, your days, your physical body, everything, your mental state, I know you. But I must say, I love Psalm 139, it's one of my favorite psalms, but there's a couple of verses that I always tend to skip over because I think, why did he put that there? It just doesn't fit with the flow. And that's verses 19 to 22. And he says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Goodness. In the midst of this kind of declaration of God's sovereignty and his kindness towards us, and David saying, search me, God, he has this kind of like, venting on all those that resist him and are, 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 um, oppose God. Because I think that David, and we know from his life story, he experienced some very painful, life-threatening, dangerous and hurtful things in his life through different people and through circumstances. And you know, these difficult circumstances and wicked people could easily have made him very cynical and guarded towards God. Well, God, if you are so loving and powerful, why am I experiencing such opposition? But you see, David never questions God's authenticity or integrity. He, got, he asks God to search out his heart and to bring his heart in line with his with God's character and the truth of who God is. You see, I think that opening your heart to the God who loves you, and we sang that wonderful song about God is a good, good father, 
coming to God and saying, search me, God, can feel very, very vulnerable because the world around us and people around us can batter at our hearts. And we learn to build walls to survive, don't we, in this world where there's a kind of a ruthlessness sometimes. And then God asks us to open our hearts to him. Everything in our human nature is about being in control. And yet coming to God in silence and setting aside all distractions, yielding ourselves to him, demands letting go. And this openness, I believe, comes with confessing that I'm limited, I'm weak, and God, I need you. See, there are times in our lives when we can feel very self-sufficient as if we can carry the whole world on our shoulders, but that doesn't last. When we live independently from God in our own striving and effort, we eventually run out of energy and grace. But when we know our limitations, I want to say we are in a very good place. When you know your limitations, you are in a good, safe place because knowing my weaknesses keeps me humble and dependent on God. I think that to detangle the wires in our hearts requires an attitude that says, I need help. God, I don't know what all these wires are and I don't know how to untangle them. I need help to understand the wrestlings of my own heart and I need help to fully open my heart to the God who loves me. How good are you at uh, receiving gifts or compliments? I think in our culture, when someone gives us a a gift, then we always feel obligated to return the favor, don't we? If someone pays for a meal, we'll say, I'm getting it next time. We find it very hard to receive and let it leave, leave it there because there's kind of then we feel there's this dependent relationship that's formed and I'm going to be obligated to others. But the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the invitation to accept a gift for which we can do nothing in return. There's nothing that we can do to deserve the gift of God's grace. As it says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not through your own doing. It is the gift of God. Isn't it interesting that we trust Jesus to sufficiently rescue us from death and eternal damnation? But do we trust him to make a beauty out of the tangled wires of our heart. He can save you from hell, but do you trust him to sort out the wires, to sort out the tangles, to restore order in your inner turmoil and to bring peace to your restless heart? And I know that David, he never bargained with God. He just opened his heart. And I believe that God wants us to open our hearts and to allow his Holy Spirit to come and minister to us to bring wholeness and peace and wisdom and understanding. In Revelations 3 verse 20, it's a verse I'm sure you know. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and answers, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus never forces himself on us. 
but he takes us to an intimate place of knowing and being fully known. What I want to do now is a little bit of an interactive thing. But uh, when I was uh, a child, my grandfather used to live with us, and um, he used to love gardening. And he would take me at least twice a week, and I'd have to he'd take me by the hand, and we'd have to walk around the garden, and he would tell me the names of all the plants in the garden, the names of all the roses, and I had to recite them back to him. That's the Elizabeth Rose, and that's the... I've forgotten them now. But I had to know all these different plants' names. And it was a lovely time with my grandpa. I want us to do a little thing now. I want you to close your eyes. And I want to imagine you to imagine the most beautiful garden you can imagine. So let's just close our eyes and think. Maybe it's your own garden. Maybe it's a garden that you've been to, a beautiful park. I just want you to close your eyes and imagine. You're standing in this garden, and the grass is really soft beneath your feet. And then you see in the garden with you is Jesus. And he takes you by the hand. And he's walking with you in the garden. And you're looking at all the different plants in the garden. And as you're looking around this garden, you suddenly realize that it's actually your heart. This is the garden of your heart. And Jesus is showing you all the different plants that are growing in your heart. And he wants you to, as he shows you, Give a name to some of those plants that are growing in your heart. Some of them are very beautiful. Some of them are love. Some of them are joy. Some of them are hope and dreams. And then there's some spiky ones like fear and anxiety. I'm going to just keep quiet for a little bit. And I want you to ask the Lord Jesus... Lord, what are some of those plants that are growing in my heart? Just as you're looking at the plants, Jesus shows you, oh, there's some little weeds growing there. Weeds sort of hiding away. They're the things that steal your joy. They're the things that rob your peace, that choke your hope. They're the things the Lord wants to take out of your garden. What are the names of those weeds? And as you look around in your garden, you notice the season. 
For some of you, it's spring. There's new beginnings and it's exciting. For some of you, your garden is in the summertime and everything is flourishing. Everything is budding. And some things are overgrowing and you have to cut back some things. It just seems to be an abundance. Some of you are in an autumn season. You realize it's a season of change. There's some things that are leaves that are falling, some things that you are losing, but new things that are going to come. Some of you may feel like you're in a winter season. You feel like your garden is actually quite barren and dry. There's not many fruit or flowers or green. And some, your garden just feels neglected because it's just been too tiring to garden your garden. I feel like there's some that Jesus is saying, that plant in the corner there, hidden away, I want to put it in the sunny spot. I want to give it more attention. I want you to invest in that thing. It's a joy in your life. Don't push it in the corner. Do you know that when you're in the garden with Jesus, it's a safe place. I'm just going to pray this prayer. And if you feel this in your heart, maybe you want to just pray in response. Dear God, I sometimes so much want to be in control. I want to be the master of my own destiny. Still, I know that you are saying, let me take you by the hand and lead you. Accept my love and trust that where I will bring you, the deepest desires of your heart will be fulfilled. Lord, open my hands to receive your gift of love. I know you all know Psalm 23. I'm reading some very favorite psalms today. And this is what David could pray. The Lord, he is my shepherd I shall not want, I shall not be in lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus is inviting us to quieten our hearts, to let him come and restore It's not enough just to rest. He wants to restore in the place of rest. And he leads me in the path of righteousness for his own name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is watching over you. There's nothing that you can face in this life could be your worst fear. You do not have to be afraid because he is with you. He is watching over you. 
He is protecting you. He is mindful of you at every moment. And then he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I believe there's some who've been through so many hard things that that verse you just don't believe is for you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. This morning, God wants to remind you, He is a good Father. He is mindful of you. He has good plans for you. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knew that once he was God's son, that was forever. He wasn't fearful of losing God's love, of not being his child anymore, that he was watching over him. I know this part might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I want to invite you just to, we're not going to have communion today because we're going to celebrate a big communion together as we celebrate a meal. But I want to invite us just to pray for each other, just in maybe groups of three or four, just going to pray God's blessing and just take something, maybe there's a, a verse from Psalm 23 that spoke to you this morning, and just pray blessing on each other. Is it that God will bless you with that restoration, bless you with a season of walking by still waters, teaching you how to quieten your heart so that he can come and be, minister to you his grace and his strength? for your life.